The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 119 O Lord, take away my life. After the dramatic display of God's power upon Mount Carmel, a dark, foreboding cloud flashing with lightning roared eastward across the Mediterranean Sea. The prophet Elijah tucked his flowing garments into his belt and ran toward the town of Jezreel, 17 miles away, to find safety from the violent storm. King Ahab hopped in his chariot and did the same thing. In a dramatic miracle by God, Elijah got there before King Ahab. Arriving at the small town of Jezreel, King Ahab noticed other royal horsemen were stationed there. This meant that his wife, Jezebel, must have made the journey from Samaria. Excited, the king entered into their smaller Jezreel palace and burst into the chamber where his wife was eating dinner. Jezebel, I am so glad you are here. I have some astounding news to tell you. I'm sure you have noticed outside the incredible storm that is finally ending the drought. It's raining because of Elijah, the prophet of God. Jezebel put down her utensils and looked up from her dinner. Oh, you should have been there, Jezebel, Ahab continued before Jezebel could get a word out. At first, all the prophets of Baal tried to call down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice they had made on Mount Carmel. They tried all day, getting quite crazy with their movements, chanting and dances, but nothing happened. Ahab paced around the room employing all the gestures he could to reenact the scene, not noticing that Jezebel's face was turning red with anger. Then, Ahab continued, Elijah bowed down in front of the altar that he had made and said this really short, powerful prayer. Immediately, and I mean immediately, Jezebel, this massive fireball came down from heaven and burst onto the altar, consuming the sacrifice. It was incredible. All of Israel was there to witness it. Ahab! Jezebel started to speak, trying to contain her anger. But that's not all, Ahab continued, right over the top of her. Then Elijah went higher up onto the mountain and told me to stay back and eat because rain was on its way. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. Then, sure enough, about 20 minutes later, I heard the first crack of thunder in my tent. Ahab! Jezebel tried once again to stop the king's speech, but to no avail. At first, I thought it was a tree branch breaking outside, Ahab excitedly continued. But then, I went outside, and looking west into the sky, I saw a huge black rain cloud approaching. Then I saw the prophet's servant running down the mountain toward the tent. He told me that I better get on my chariot, or else the wheels would get stuck in the mud trying to get back. Ahab! 
Jezebel screamed as loudly as she could. Instantly, Ahab stopped his joyful recounting of the story. Ahab, you have been fooled by the trickery of this false prophet Elijah, she said in a belittling manner. The drought has just naturally ended. This isn't some supernatural event. And for that matter, what happened to all the 450 priests of Baal that went up with you? Oh, them? The king said sheepishly, having momentarily forgotten their fate. The people! <coughs> Ahab cleared his throat mid-sentence. The people <coughs> killed them. What? They're all dead? Jezebel screamed in bewilderment. Get out, Ahab! I can't stand to see your face! Get out! Fearful of the queen, Ahab slunk away from the dining area back to his own room to think. He knew that he had witnessed tremendous miracles by the hand of Elijah, but he would not stand up to Jezebel, his wicked wife. Ahab thought she would be excited the drought was ending, but instead she was angered by the acclaim Elijah was receiving. As Elijah went to sleep that night, he wondered what effect the miracles God provided would have on the people of Israel. The next morning, he received his answer. He walked through the town. While people were happy the drought was over, they continued in their normal ways, not praising and thanking God for his mighty intervention. To make matters worse, a servant of the royal house found Elijah and delivered to him a letter from Jezebel. I have heard how you craftily went about convincing Ahab and the people to kill the prophets of Baal, she wrote. But believe me, regardless of what the people say, I don't believe you are God's chosen messenger. In fact, I'm coming after you. You killed 450 true priests. I will happily accept the same fate as them if I have not killed you 24 hours from now. Elijah was extremely disheartened. He thought the miracles from God would turn things around for Israel and for him. Instead, Israel continued in its sinning way, and now he was being threatened more than ever. Terrified of the wrath of the wicked queen, the prophet Elijah decided to leave the city of Jezreel immediately. He and his servant saddled up their donkeys and headed south toward the nation of Judah as quickly as they could. They had to keep off the main routes to ensure Jezebel's men didn't spot them. Finally, they reached the border of Judah and breathed a sigh of relief. As they exited Jezebel's jurisdiction, however, they didn't stop moving. Continuing south for another few days, they eventually got to the southern border of Judah at the town of Beersheba. For the whole journey, Elijah was disillusioned that Israel had not repented of its evil ways. 
Was his work in vain? He wondered. Depressed at the state of events, Elijah decided to part ways with his servant, leaving him in Beersheba. Elijah told him he didn't know when he would be back. Elijah stumbled along, heading deeper and deeper into the wilderness of the Negev Desert. Dejected, he found a small broom tree with just enough shade to cover him. He sat down on the ground. Tears started to well up in his eyes. Elijah had had enough. For the past three years, he had been on the run from the king of Israel, a fugitive in his own country. Then, when finally God allowed him to break his silence, God had performed some powerful miracles through him. Now, not long after those miracles, he was on the run once again and found himself in the middle of nowhere, right back to where he started. In a weakened emotional state, Elijah wondered if life was even worth living anymore. Underneath that tree, in the middle of the hot, rocky desert, he prayed to God. Lord God of Israel, it is no use. I've done all I can. I've obeyed you. I've done all you've asked. And now I am still all alone. No one in Israel has repented of their sins and turned to you. Now I beseech you, take my life, for I have accomplished nothing for you. Dejected emotionally and famished physically, Elijah fell asleep under the tree, extremely depressed over what he thought was a worthless life. This was the lowest point of the prophet Elijah's life. Astoundingly, it came right after God performed some dramatic miracles through him. Perhaps Elijah thought the miracles on Mount Carmel would lead to the nation's repentance. But as far as he could tell, nothing had changed in Israel. Nobody had repented. However, Elijah didn't see everything God was working out behind the scenes. Instead of focusing on the work that God wanted Elijah to do, he was worried most about his own life. Because of this lack of faith in God's great purpose, Elijah felt like he might as well die. As far as he could see, nothing good had come from his life and service to God. But God had still more for Elijah to do and was ready to encourage him. After a good while sleeping, Elijah was awakened by someone shaking him by the shoulders. Arise, 
Elijah, and eat, a voice commanded him. Elijah slowly opened his eyes, but he couldn't see anybody. He wondered whether he had dreamed the whole thing. Still tired from his journey, he laid his head back down. As he slowly fell back to sleep, he smelled something wonderful. He tilted his head back and noticed behind his head a freshly baked, steaming loaf of bread, appearing to have just come out of the oven. The mouth-watering loaf was sitting on two hot stones. Right next to it, on the ground, was a flagon made of earthen pottery covered in a cloth. Startled, he sat up and realized that he wasn't dreaming, but rather God had sent an angel to feed him. Famished from the wilderness journey, Elijah quickly devoured the delicious loaf of bread sent by God. Then, looking toward the vessel, Elijah noticed drops of condensed water starting to collect on its exterior. Elijah reached for the flagon, and when he touched it, a cool feeling went through his body. As quickly as he could, he gulped down the refreshing water, chilled as if it was collected from a mountain stream. However, even with his belly full and thirst quenched, Elijah was still depressed. Upset, he slumped back down and fell back asleep. God allowed Elijah to sleep so his body could be restored to full strength. After several hours, once again, Elijah was awakened by someone shaking him, saying, Elijah, arise and eat, because you are going to need all the energy you can get. The journey before you is great. Elijah tilted his head back right away and saw that God had provided another steaming loaf of bread and accompanying flagon of water. Refreshed from his sleep, Elijah arose and ate what God supplied. Feeling physically revitalized, Elijah started on a southern journey deep into the Sinai Peninsula. For 40 days, Elijah traveled on the strength of those meals that God supplied until he arrived at Horeb where he set up camp inside a cave. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai, where God had given the Israelites the Ten Commandments, as well as other laws, over 600 years earlier. As he was preparing to rest inside the cave after his long journey, Elijah was startled by a loud voice. Why have you come here to Mount Sinai, Elijah? The voice asked him. God wanted Elijah to express himself and explain what he was discouraged about. 
Recognizing it was God, Elijah responded, For I've accomplished nothing for you. I have served you my whole life. I have warned the nation of Israel for you just as you asked. You have even shown your awesome power before the nations. Yet after all your miracles, Israel still follows after idols. They still destroy your righteous altars, and they have even killed your prophets to the point that I, even I, am the only prophet left. And they would have killed me too had I not ran down here to Mount Sinai. I don't see the point of continuing. Elijah was so worried about his own life, so focused on the fact that Jezebel wanted to kill him, that he lost faith in God. To help Elijah refocus, God decided to demonstrate his power. God told Elijah to go and stand on the mountain to witness his great power. Immediately as Elijah exited the cave, a boisterous wind ripped across the face of the mountain. Elijah clasped onto a nearby tree trunk for his life. The ferocious wind raced up and down the mountain, flinging giant boulders into the air. Then, as quickly as the wind started, it stopped. Elijah used the time to dash back into the cave. However, as soon as he re-entered the cave, a massive earthquake shook the mountain. The mountain itself started to fracture and rocks split, causing gigantic rock slides on different parts of the mountain. One loud explosion announced the end of the earthquake. Wondering what the explosion was, Elijah went outside the cave and looked back up toward the peak of the mountain. He saw that the top of the mountain had exploded and red hot lava was spewing out. Looking up, he saw huge lumps of red hot earth flying through the sky like meteorites. The flaming rocks began to slam into the side of the mountain. Elijah took cover by jumping back into the cave. As the sound of burning projectiles whistled past, continued for a couple of minutes, Elijah thought about what God was trying to teach him through this display of power. All of a sudden, the noise stopped, and through the eerie silence, Elijah thought he heard a still, small voice coming out of the cave. Elijah covered his face with his coat and left the cave. God then asked him again, What are you doing here, Elijah? You have witnessed my power through the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. Yet, Elijah, while my power caused them, I was not in them. However, 
I am talking to you with my voice right now. God's display of tremendous power was to show Elijah that God has complete control over all things. He can send massive winds, an earthquake, or fire whenever he desires it to accomplish his purpose. However, most of the time, God reveals himself in a still, small voice. God wanted Elijah to remember that even when there are no obvious, visible miracles, God is still God and would still be with him. God reminded him that he is the all-powerful one and that Elijah should not worry about the death threats of Jezebel. As long as Elijah was doing God's work, he need not fear any situation. God then called out to his prophet, Elijah, now that you have learned your lesson, I have another mission for you to accomplish. Return to Israel, God continued, except this time I need you to travel on the eastern side of the Jordan River, as if you were heading to Damascus. I need you to anoint Hazael to be king of Syria, and also Jehu, the son of Nimshi, who will replace the evil king Ahab. But even before that, you are to anoint Elisha, the son of Shabbat. He is going to help you and take over for you after you are gone. And also, Elijah, just so you know, you are not the only one in Israel who has not followed after Baal. There are 7,000 people who have remained faithful to me. Don't fear, Elijah. My purpose is being worked out, and you have a big part in it. Elijah was encouraged by God's words. With his focus back on God's work and no longer worrying about his own life, he started the trek northward to find his successor, Elisha. continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the resources tab at pcg.church.